I'm tempted to say good morning, but it's really good evening. So it's great to be with you. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, and there's the clock, that's what I needed to see, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, this uh, next part of the series. And um, there we are. The um, fallen world that we live in, there are just many opportunities to speak truth and justice. There are many conflicts and many challenges that we have. There's, in fact, even a uh, show uh, that you can watch called What Would You Do? And it's got all kinds of scenarios, things like, how many of you have ever seen that show? It's, uh, it's something I always pass through, but it always catches my attention. Uh, it'll have someone parking in a handicapped parking spot, and how do people respond to it? Or uh, a woman berating her child for only getting an A- minus on her grade report and how awful that is. And so people, uh, I, th I think we've all been there, uh, uh, feel challenged. And it's a question of how do you respond when you see something wrong going on? Well, as wonderful as that TV series must be, there are uh, much better examples of what it means to speak uh, truth and justice. And there's none greater than the prophets. As the Geico commercial says, it's what they do. They speak truth and justice, and they challenge what is around them more often. And in case you get any sort of romanticized view, as I might sometimes thinking, yeah, it'd be great to be the prophet, be the guy that comes out there and repent, has that powerful message and people just fall down. Most of the prophets were persecuted, uh, ignored, martyred. So, this is what I want you to learn and be looking forward to as we go over what it means to be a spokesperson or a mouthpiece for truth and justice. You too can be persecuted. So, there are lots of things going on in the book of Ezekiel, and I wanted to start with something that you probably can't see well, but it gives you just briefly the historical timeline, because Ezekiel comes along, and there it is. Okay, so Ezekiel is part of the messaging to the southern kingdom, Judah. Earlier, the northern kingdom was taken away, all ten tribes, by Assyria. And Assyria had a practice when they took people into captivity, they dispersed them around their, na their nation. So they were gone. And now judgment is coming on Judah, the southern kingdom. And in fact, before Ezekiel is taken away, a character you might recognize is Daniel. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Well, they were snatched by Nebuchadnezzar when he was coming back from a conflict with uh, Egypt. And he's on his way back to Babylon. That's when he really establishes his reign there. And so on the way, the Babylonian practice was to take the best and the brightest and bring them to the capital where their skills and expertise could be used to benefit their nation. So Daniel's already there, and then uh, the king that is set up by the Babylonians starts rebelling, and so at that point, Nebuchadnezzar comes again, takes that king, takes Ezekiel, and they're now in uh, Babylon. So that was when Ezekiel was 25. He's now 30 when this prophecy begins, and... Um, 
It starts out in chapter 1 with this incredible vision of God. Uh, and, and so he's there in Babylon by the Kabar River, and suddenly this incredible vision happens, and he sees these four beasts, and he sees wheels within wheels with eyes on the wheels, and then above a theophany, an appearance of God in power reigning over all of that. And that is the point when God then starts to address him. But just an important point there is that no one, especially Ezekiel, was expecting God to appear in Babylon. God belonged in Jerusalem, in the temple there. That's where God made his presence known. And yet here he is as an exile taken away, and God appears in Babylon. And so that's when we start to have the uh, speaking of God making this call. And what we're going to look at is that God empowers feeble sons of man to be his mouthpieces. So God is empowering feeble sons of man to be his mouthpieces. I'm either hitting the... There we go, okay. So... The first condition, we're going to look at five different conditions that we see in here. And again, this passage deals with a lot more, but we're focusing on what it means to be a mouthpiece uh, for truth and justice. And so the very first condition is utter dependence on God. So look back in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And this is Ezekiel's st starting point. He, referring to God, said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So there's some very important piece here. First, God calls him. He is not seeking out God. God seeks him out. God calls him, and he addresses him as son of man, which is lowercase son of man meaning bar Adam, the, the son of, of Adam, uh, just uh, a natural human person. And he's saying that, he says it actually over 80 times to Ezekiel. That is how Ezekiel is addressed. There's only one other time in the Old Testament where son of man is spoken, and it's in Daniel, and it's referring to son of man, capital S, capital M, the ancient of days, the, the favored term of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of John, Son of Man, the exalted one who comes. After seeing this vision, God wants it to be very clear to Ezekiel that you're not coming as something special, as now a higher class of person. You're coming as simple, humble, feeble Son of Man. And so that that message of humility is very important for here because we're talking about utter dependence on God. The Spirit empowers him. We see the Spirit comes into him and the Spirit causes him to stand up. And then the fourth element of that is that God speaks. God gives his word to him. So those four things become the foundation that utter dependence on God is critical if we're going to be mouthpieces for truth and justice. And I, I have to confess, uh, this is confession time. I should have done it before communion, but I didn't. Uh, Tuesday night, 
I was working on the sermon and I was thinking, you know, I really want to come to Cornerstone and give this amazing sermon. I want to just blow the socks off these Cornerstone Christians and just really make a powerful message so that they'll be very impressed of how well I can give a message. I mean, I really was thinking that way. I wanted to do a really good job. I wanted to be impressive. And then I laid down and I started thinking about that very first passage, Son of Man, and realizing that if I'm going to accomplish anything tonight, it would be only if I humble myself before God. It will only be if I seek God's work through this. Because apart from that, we're just making noise. We're clanging cymbals. We're just talking. And you can hear a lot better talks. But no one can do better than what God can do to speak to our hearts. And that is the message that he's given to Ezekiel right here. Son of man, listen to me, speak my words, and the Spirit enters him. So with that as a starting point, let's just take a moment and let's pray. And let's ask God to be the one at work in our midst, in our hearts this evening. Father, we're, we're mindful uh, that we are but clay vessels that contain a great treasure, that you are willing to take us who are nothing before you and work through us to bring glory and honor to yourself. And our prayer tonight is that you would be the one at work here, that what is said to Ezekiel would be said to me and said to each of us, that we need to hear from you. And that we need to humble ourselves and really make ourselves dependent on you. So I pray for that work of grace in our midst this evening and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the second condition that, that shows up has to do with he must speak God's message. Let's read again uh, verses 3 through 7, chapter 2. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that have, has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious." So you get a pretty strong idea, first of all, that this nation that he's going to speak to is not the most open group to hear what he has to say. They're rebellious, they're stubborn, they're obstinate. And it's interesting that at the very beginning, he, he doesn't call them my people. He calls them sons of Israel, sons of the one who strove with God, strived with God. And he uses a term, nations, goyim, 
that was only used of the Gentile nations. In other words, they have out-Gentiled the Gentiles. Their idolatry was greater than the idolatry in the Gentile nations. They were that, that far away from God. And he's making that point abundantly clear. This is the task that Ezekiel is called to, to speak to this group of people, whether they listen or not. And why was it important to speak? Well, one of the primary reasons is that they needed to know that God is sovereign. The sovereign God that they continued to not listen to, to want nothing to do with, is speaking to them. And he says a very interesting thing too. He says, whether they listen or not, they will know a prophet has been among them. Well, what would make it clear that he's a prophet? Would it be that he dresses like a prophet, because we all know prophets wear different clothing, that he acts things out in a very different way, which we know Ezekiel did. He did some very interesting things, like lying on his side for a year and then switching over for another 40 days. So what, what is it that's going to convince them that a prophet has been among them? Well, what is one of the primary proofs of someone being a prophet? It's that 100% of what they say comes true. And what they're going to hear is going to come true. And that's how they'll know because he is bringing a message of judgment, of woe upon them, and all those things are going to come true. And that's why it's so important that he says, the sovereign God says, that he makes it clear that God is the one speaking to them and that what God is about to say to them is going to come true. Now, we don't have that same task ourselves, but I think all of us have run into people in our lives that are stubborn, obstinate. I had a wonderful experience uh, early in my career where we had an orientation program, and one of the students was in line first for a cookout, and the dean of students was there with us that night, and he saw her get in line and said with great indignation, what are you doing in line? You should be the last one. You should let the students go first. Get out of line. What are you thinking? And just humiliating her, she left in tears. Well, she was in line because the staff asked her to get in line first to get her dinner so she could go over to Come Knock Hall, all of you, you mass little people, Come Knock Hall, and set up for the skits that followed the cookout. But instead, he made this really rough, crude, angry uh, condemnation of her before everyone. And she was noticeably and appropriately upset. So I came to him and I said, you've put me in charge of orientation. So rather than have you go ahead and, and do what you just did, why don't you ask me and let me handle these things? You really owe Carrie an apology. Um, and it did not go well for me after that, <laughs> after that point. Um, Carrie didn't get an apology, and really, until the dean retired, I was in his doghouse. Now, I didn't know how bad off I was, but I, people would say, Tom, how do you do this? You know, it's like, fortunately, he most of the time spoke 
behind my back about how awful I was, so I didn't know it. And so that was, that was okay. But it does get to this idea that when you confront someone who's obstinate and stubborn, they're not necessarily going to listen to you at all. And that's truly what Ezekiel ran into. He was going to be speaking to a people who were not going to listen at all. So we come now to the third example, or third condition, and that is that you must internalize the message first. Did you already beat me to it? All right. Is this even working? I think that when I hold this up, it magically appears no matter what button I'm missing here. So I'll still, this will be your sign. Okay. Just don't be obstinate with me. Okay. No. So, so let's read uh, 2.8 through 3.3. 3. Again, the third condition that we must internalize the message first. So starting in 2.8. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth. And he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted sweet as honey. First of all, just notice the contrast where the nation is not going to listen. They're stubborn. The first thing that he asks Ezekiel to do is listen. And Ezekiel listens. So already you have Ezekiel uh, in great contrast to the nation that he's being sent to. He's listening to what God has to say. And then he's given this scroll. And the scroll has mornings, warnings, woes, laments on it. But he says the scroll was written on both sides. Now, when was the last time any of you wrote on the back of your scroll? Well, all right, you don't have scrolls. But, um, but in fact, no one ever wrote on the back of a scroll. If it was parchment, the one side was smooth and ready for writing. And, and on the back side, it was all grainy and impossible. Or if it was a, a skin of an animal, the same thing. One side you could write on, the other side would be very difficult to write on. And yet, it gives us a picture of how full God's judgment was going to be on the people that he had to write on both sides of the scroll. All the, the woes, laments, and warnings that were going to be spoken to this rebellious nation. And that is what he has to internalize. And so that's the, this picture of eating. Um, it's really just a very straightforward thing that I think we, we understand even more uh, in the New Testament, that we're to internalize God's word. It's not enough just to hear it, but we need to take that word and it needs to be made part of us. It needs to transform our lives. If you, um, you can follow me or just turn to the chapter, but John 15, uh, verse 7 through 10, picks up on this as Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. And I'll, I'm jumping in the middle of the passage, but he says, 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. That's what it means to consume God's word. It's to obey his word. It's to take it in and to allow it to transform our lives. Just as Jesus is saying, if you're going to abide in me, you abide in my words. You obey my commands, that you would know my love, that you would know the fullness of joy through that. And so that's exactly what is being asked. Sweetness because he is experiencing God's word. He's coming to understand more the sovereign Lord's heart as he takes in these words. Now, we have another example of someone eating a scroll in the book of Revelation. And when he eats the scroll, it starts off sweet, and then it's bitter in his stomach. Here, it's just sweet until you come to the end of the section we're looking at. There's both, but there's a, a, a value and an importance of hearing God's word. Well, again, it's a difficult message that he has to share. And how many of us have been in positions to share difficult messages? I can think of a very difficult message that really every Christian has to share, and that is that Jesus is the one way to God. And apart from him... People are destined for eternal separation, eternal hell. And I can remember having that discussion with one of our students back before I was actually working for the university. And we were going for a walk, a hike, and, and he said, uh, you know, I think this is great about Jesus. I, I just can't follow a God who would send anyone to hell. I said, well... That's the God that Jesus asks you to follow, the God who holds that decision, the God who decides whether or not someone is separated forever or not. That's the God that, that we are to follow. That's a hard discussion to have with someone, and yet there's more to it, and, and we've just celebrated the Lord's Supper which gives us a very visual and a, a consuming way to understand the, the fullness of that. Because while that is true, and God does make that call, and there is but one way, that one way is a way. That one way was the one who took on all of the wrath on both sides of that scroll. The one who took on all the wrath for all of the sin of the world and took that upon himself. It was poured upon him so that he experienced that separation from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the one who makes that decision. Uh, he has made the way open for us, and yet that's a hard discussion. Uh, in the end, the person that I was talking with did come to faith. He he did come to believe that Jesus was the Lord, and God brought him to himself. 
But these are hard discussions. And so if we are a mouthpiece of truth and justice, we have to speak about God's justice. And his justice is that all of us deserve condemnation. But his message is also one of hope, but not the message that Ezekiel was to proclaim at that point. He had one message, and it was a message of judgment. And sometimes that's the message that we will have to share too. So we go on to the fourth condition. So we've done three so far. I'll just go over those. Utter dependence on God was the first. Must speak God's message is the second. We must internalize God's message. And then this, this fourth one, we must rely on God's strength and purpose. So we'll look at verses 4 through 11 in chapter 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you, because they are not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your countrymen in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. So this, this introduces a little bit of a corrective. Um, Jonathan and I had lunch the other day and we talked about this, that it's not always about fruitfulness. So fruitfulness on the front line, there's a lot of fruitfulness that God is expecting and desiring, but it's not always about fruitfulness. In fact, if we were judging Ezekiel's ministry on fruitfulness, we would say he's an utter failure because he's not going to get any fruit. He would have gotten fruit if God had sent him to the Gentile nations. How ironic. People who's not only he couldn't understand their language. He won't even understand their culture is what that is communicating there. And yet, um, that's not where God sent him. So really, in addition to fruitfulness on the front lines, we ought to be talking about faithfulness on the front lines because that's really the focus here, um, that we must rely on God's strength and purpose because it's not only about fruitfulness. It's often just about faithfulness. And God is, in other words, glorified in other ways. And we see this very clearly in Egypt. When Moses goes down and the plagues come, in Romans it talks about that time that God was receiving glory not because Egypt repented, not because the Pharaoh gave in. He was receiving glory because his power and sovereignty were being demonstrated. Um, and that's what Ezekiel's going to experience too. Now, there is some hopeful stuff 
at the end of the book of Ezekiel, as uh, Andy pointed out, there are dry bones that come to life and there are some hopeful things, but not at all at this point. It's just judgment. And it really gets down to what our expectations are of God. You know, should we be uh, expecting God to do the things we want him to do? Uh, Or should we be just relying on God's strength and God's purposes? God's purpose in this was to proclaim his sovereignty to a nation that refused to believe his sovereignty and to bring to pass everything that the prophet said so they knew a prophet would be among them. Basically, righteous judgment on the people. But sometimes we want more. And I'm going to share a very personal thing uh, with Janice and I. Uh, When our son died 19 years ago and in a car accident, and there was a big service for him at Emmanuel Church. Uh, Literally the entire sanctuary, the entire fellowship hall had uh, monitors showing the, the service. Uh, It was uh, transmitted by local cable TV. And we were devastated by the loss of our son. But we were hopeful that this loss would produce some fruitfulness. Most of Chelmsford High School was hearing the gospel. Really, all the leadership at the university was there. And they were hearing the gospel proclaimed. It opened up opportunities to hear so suddenly like well this is why it must be why God allowed this to happen so that there would be fruitfulness there would be a response to the gospel but there was not a response and and we just we we wondered you know why would God allow this it would make sense if God was doing it for the purpose of fruitfulness but that was not his purpose In fact, there were other purposes that we discovered over time. Um, Janice uh, got involved uh, with setting up a Stephen ministry because of someone who had been in that ministry asking her and coming alongside of her during the most difficult time. Uh, Rebecca, our daughter, who was also in the accident, uh, uh, she was in the pediatric ward at Mass General, airlifted there. And that became the foundation for her going into nursing. And uh, now a nurse practitioner serving God in that way. But that happened as a result. And virtually all of the leadership on my campus, I had more opportunities to share with them about Christ, though I saw none of them come to faith. But for me in particular, The beauty of what happened was me understanding God's wisdom in the gospel. God's wisdom that salvation is by faith alone. Our son was not at all perfect like his father. (laughs) And I recognize that too, you know. Um, We are all fallen. We are all son of man. We are all less than what God wants us to be. And yet, I had assurance that Billy was with God because salvation isn't based on works. It isn't based on what we earn before God. It's based on faith in Jesus Christ. It's through faith by grace in Christ alone. And so, it may not have been what I was expecting 
But God had his purposes, and those things have changed our lives in many ways. But just to even share with you tonight God's wisdom with the gospel, that it's by faith alone that a somewhat rebellious, almost 17-year-old boy could be in heaven, not because he had lived this wonderful life, but because God had saved him through the gospel. So faithfulness, God is faithful. And God gives us the strength, and he gave Ezekiel the strength to stand up to the difficulties that he was facing. The final condition is that we must be on the front line. And this concludes the section we're reading, verses 12 through 15 of chapter 3. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the loud rumbling sound. May the glory of the Lord be praised in his dwelling place. The sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other and the sound of the wheels beside them. A loud rumbling sound. Then the Spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord upon me. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Abib near the Kabar River. And there, where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, overwhelmed. Once again, he is reassured of God's presence. A picture of the vision that he had in chapter 1. Reminded again, God is here. God is here in Babylon. And he's going to where by again empowered by the Spirit of God who moves him to where the exiles are. Now, I don't think we can, most of us can identify with what it must have been like to be exiled, to be taken in captivity away from your home and placed in a foreign nation. We do have the psalm that said, you know, by the rivers uh, they required songs of us. How can I sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? This was a devastating place and this is where Ezekiel is sent to speak to the people, right on the front line, right where all the exiles are, not somewhere else, but right in their midst in Tel Abib, right where they all gathered by the Kabar River. And here, uh, again, it's in bitterness and anger. And this is that, that other part of Ezekiel's role that we see in Revelation this is where it comes out here too. It's not easy to consume God's word. It's not easy to be responsible for what he gives us. It's not easy to be truth tellers. And yet he is there and he has to share all those woes and laments. And he's angry. And he's angry maybe for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is He's in this foreign land, and he is separated. He, he's 30 years old. When you turn 30 years old, and he's of the priest class, the priests would start their service at age 30, and he was looking forward to being someone who could be a mediator between God and man. Instead, God calls him, but not as a priest, but as a prophet, to speak his words and to speak words of judgment. And he's angry over the judgment, the fact that his people, his own nation, 
has been obstinate and refusing to listen to God so that now this is the one message that he has to share. And he's, he's heartbroken. He's there and he goes. The seven days are the seven days of mourning. It's a traditional picture of completeness of his mourning. And he's there uh, struggling and overwhelmed. And when we look at things uh, that there are often situations where we just find ourselves having a very difficult time. Again, asking the question, where are some of your front lines where you are going to find yourselves butting heads and facing very difficult challenges? Uh, Diana Walker-Moyer, who's not here tonight, but uh, we were both in Haiti, and, and she asked me, Tom, let's, what's it like for you? We both work at, at UMass Lowell. What, what's it like for you? What are the challenges you face? And one of the things that, that we look at is that the mindset and the philosophies, the beliefs at the university are just in huge contrast to our beliefs. For example, I'm part of a commission, uh, the 2020 Strategic Planning Commission, a group that deals with inclusive community and global engagement. Now, it's easy for me and I think for us as believers to fully believe in inclusive community and global engagement. Christ has sent us to the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel uh, to all nations. And inclusive community, we have no better example than the Church of the Living Christ where all peoples, tribes, and nations are welcomed into his presence. So we have this beautiful picture. But at the university, there's a very different view, and it's, it's understandable. It's, it's a view that everything is okay. Inclusive community means it doesn't matter what you think or what you believe, we're all one. And so if you believe something different than this, that's okay because everything's right, it doesn't matter. It's all about oneness. There is no creator creation distinction. It's just what really we see in Romans 1, that the, the creator was forsaken for the creator. Uh, or the creator was forsaken for the creation. Worship and serving created things. And that's what it's like. So we are in this, this conflict regularly. I go to these meetings and I, I can with integrity believe that it's important to have an inclusive community. But unlike the view that says everything is right, the Christian view, if you will, is all of us are wrong. All of us are fallen. I'm no better than anyone else. And because of that, all of us can be objects of God's grace and mercy. We need to be objects of his grace and mercy. And so Diane and I struggle through that because we're often presented with things that we need to uh, go along with, and it's a question about, well, how do we respond? So, just to conclude, <clears throat> I don't even need this. You know, so, um, But we have a calling. Ezekiel had a calling. We've been looking at Ezekiel. Well, we have a calling too, and it's to go and live as salt and light. It's to proclaim the gospel. It's to uh, love our neighbor as ourselves, to love the Lord God with all our hearts. God is present as he was present with Ezekiel. 
but he's present with us even more so. Ezekiel did indeed have the Spirit come upon him, but we have the Spirit in fullness indwelling us. Uh, the New Testament opportunity is just beautiful, but Ezekiel foreshadowed that in the Spirit coming upon him. The Son of Man was also a Son of Man. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, God and Lord to be exalted, but he also came as lowercase Son of Man. He identified with us in our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way as we are, but was without sin. And he did the most undivine thing that he could do. He died. God doesn't die, but Jesus, Son of Man, lowercase, died for us. He gave his life for us. And we have a much greater model to look at if we're looking at being mouthpieces for truth and justice. We have the Word made flesh who was in entirely the fullness of the revelation of God to us. The difficulties great. Ezekiel was sent to those who would not listen. The difficulty still great. We are sent to those who are dead, who are dead in sin, much like ourselves. We are to speak the truth, but we're to speak the truth in love. That's something that can only happen when the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives. And it's only going to happen if we are willing to humble ourselves, to put ourselves at the feet of the cross, and to renounce ourselves, to pick up our cross, to rely on God, and then He will work. If we want to be a mouthpieces for truth and justice, that's the only way it's going to happen. If we humble ourselves, if we allow the Spirit of God to control us, if we speak His message uh, with His love. And let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You for the example of Ezekiel, but even more so for the example of Your Son. And we thank You that we are not left alone, but that You have uh, indwelled us through Your Spirit and that You're sending us out to share your message, not just those about challenging unrighteousness, and those are all important, but really the greatest message of all for one who overcame sin and death. I pray that you would be empowering all of us to be more faithful on the front lines, whether that be in our homes, in our schools, in our places of work, in our families in our communities, wherever it is. I pray that you would give us the trust to follow you, to be faithful, to say your words, that glory and honor would be given to you and not us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.